Welcome. This is Efrat Sabalovsky from Wire Connects, happy to introduce Candidate, a candid conversation about today's dating life with experienced guests. Our wonderful host this evening is Rabbi Larry Rothwax, Rabbi of Congregation Beth Aaron in Teaneck, New Jersey, and Director of Professional Rabbinics at Yeshiva University. This podcast is anonymously sponsored by Eloi Nishmas Chano Chayen Ben Yaakov HaKohen. Hello, my name is Larry Rothwax, and I am privileged to join today as a guest host for Candidate, the podcast by YU Connects, which offers candid conversations about dating and relationships. I am privileged today to welcome Rabbi Dr. Ari Sittner, who is a marriage therapist, licensed clinical social worker, author, inspirational speaker, rabbi, and proud kidney donor. He is a graduate professor of social work and the director of leadership and community development at Yeshiva University. Rabbi Sittner provides trauma intervention nationally in the wake of tragic mass shootings and speaks extensively about compassion, love, kindness, and marriage, sharing his unique doctoral research on marital relationships. Rabbi Sittner is the author of The Ultimate Relationship Workbook for Couples and The Kidney Donor's Journey. He lives in New Jersey with his wife and four children. Welcome, Dr. Sittner. Thank you, Rabbi Rothwax. An honor to be here. It's really a pleasure to have you. In your private practice, you focus exclusively at this point in time on relationships, dating, and, and really, for the most part, marriage. And I imagine that many of the couples that you see struggle in areas that perhaps, perhaps, you know, had they been addressed earlier, had they been aware of certain aspects of, of relationships, of communication, so maybe they could have had an easier adjustment into marriage in the first place and dealing with certain stages and transitions along the way. So I'm wondering if you can, first of all, tell me if that's so, and maybe reflect on it a bit. Sure. Thank you. So uh, let me explain, uh, I guess, a little bit of a contrast for a moment. Most of the couples that will come see me are married anywhere from you know, a year to 30, 40, 50 years and, and everything in between. And so you really get to sit down with couples and say, all right, you know, tell me about you know your, your history, your challenges, sort of the inflection points over time, the good times, the bad times, and how you've handled those challenges. And they can go on for hours looking at, you know, the time that, you know, my husband lost his job and my wife had a miscarriage and the time when, you know, we went through a, a hardship and, and how we got through it and, and what it meant to be a couple and face difficult times. Um, and more recently, I would say that I have couples that are not yet married, dating or engaged, and I love it. They come to me and say, you know, we're not looking for marriage therapy. We're not even married. What we want is just a couple of sessions just to sort of, you know, prime the the, the motor a little bit. Like, let's just, you know, get get the, the wheels greased and, and put us in a point where we know what we should be thinking about. What are the skills we maybe don't yet have? And to me, those are the most exciting couples because they're just at the beginning. They haven't yet faced any challenges. Uh, major challenges in most cases. And with a few tweaks, a couple of skills, they're suddenly able to be positioned for so much more success. But the, the most fascinating part is when we start off the assessment process of looking at what are the areas that we should focus on, rarely do they have anything to share by way of, you know, here are the challenges that we face. You know, we've known each other for six months, if that. And we want to look at, you know, where do we need the work? And most of the time it's like, well, we don't really know. And I think it's amazing that you have couples that are coming to you at that stage. I imagine it's still very much the exception rather than the norm. Very much the exception. And, you know, in many cases, it, it's, uh, you know, parents, 
you know, maybe Rabbeim who are encouraging it. Look, everyone, uh, you know, there was a, a research study that Dr. Pelkovitz uh, was involved in, you know, looking at premarital counseling and how most, you know, 90 something percent of members of the Orthodox Jewish community will engage in some form of chassan or kala classes and learn about marriage. But in only a small percentage of those cases, are they really getting substantive skills by way of helping them advance as a couple? In my uh, doctoral research, we found that 57% of couples who were divorcing struggled with problems in communication. That's a really high number. And, and chaval, because communication is a skill and it's something you can learn and you can be taught. And you know, what if earlier on, as people are going through that chasen kala training process, we also did a few sessions of just making sure we're investing in it. And as much as we invest in the, the wedding to invest in the marriage, right? Which is really the structure that we should be focusing on. We think about the the color scheme and the the dress and the flowers and the band and everything else. Just a little bit more effort on those skills goes such a long way. And so when those couples come to me and we're just starting off and I say, okay, what do you want to work on? Like, we don't know. Everything's great. So part of the backdrop is we've never really confronted those challenges that we are going to confront. So I might throw out a question to them and say, well, what would happen if and it could be a range of questions. What if the husband decides that uh, he wants to quit his job and pursue his dream as an artist? But that wasn't what we agreed. And the Shidduch resume said this. And we, you know, you told my parents that you were going to do that. And how do we evolve? How do we adapt and pivot through life as a team in a way that when we start off dating, no one sits down and asks those questions, right? What's going to happen if money gets tight? And where do we cut? And who makes the compromises? So to perhaps give people an opportunity early on, not to scare them, <laughs> but to give them the inevitable uh, skills they're going to need for when those conversations need to be. Interesting. Had. Almost a sort of role play in advance about some of the situations that may arise down the, down the line. So it's very interesting. You said communication is a skill and obviously involves a set of skills. Is it that couples that are dating and perhaps engaged and maybe in the first few weeks and months of marriage when things are relatively blissful, is it that they're not communicating effectively, but they just don't realize it yet because there haven't been any major conflicts? Uh, or are they communicating well and effectively, but they're going to need different types of skills of communication once things get a little more tumultuous? So I think Elu, I think we have couples that are in a situation where, you know, maybe my whole life I was told not to talk to girls. And suddenly I find myself dating, engaged, and married, and I don't really have experience interacting with someone who is very different than I am, who thinks differently than I do. And so when, I don't know, a newly married couple has a situation where wife goes and buys herself some, some new makeup and the husband sees the receipt and says, I don't understand. Why are you spending $70 on, on lipstick? And she's trying to explain to him why this lipstick is special and it's going over his head and it turns into a fight because money is tight and this shouldn't be a priority. And it's just, these are two different worlds. So I think on the one hand, we need to give some space for people to kind of go out on the open road together and learn like, as a couple, like we are going to learn new things about one another. It's just going to be different. When I was with the guys in college and yeshiva, wherever, like, you know, these aren't conversations I had to have. So even if I quote unquote, I had a roommate or I grew up, you know, sharing a room with a brother and I know how to successfully share a space. This is going to be a very different experience of learning to be curious and open rather than have preconceived notions where I'm judgmental. And I think that I know better and I'm right. 
and you shouldn't be spending money on that. Instead to say, huh, well, this is new. Help me understand this. And I think part of the bracha of Shana Rishona is that it's so blissful that we don't realize how, in many cases, how dysfunctional can really be, right? So we kind of cruise through it in a really joyful way. Um, and the question is, once the dust settles and that year kind of sunsets and we, we enter the next stage of life and some of the challenges and, and blessings that come along with that, now we find ourselves, okay, do we have the skills? Have we developed the skills to listen? to be curious, to be supportive rather than judgmental and to create the, the stronger friendship that's needed to, to be supportive. And that's going to be what's going to carry us through that next chapter. Do you find that more typically it is the husband or the, you know, the man in the relationship that has to sort of adapt and adjust his skill set more or is it the woman or they both have their work cut out for them in terms of you know, uh, learning how to exercise a whole new set of skills? Right. It's a great question. Uh, it, it goes both ways. A lot of it comes down to personality, to upbringing. You know, if a person grew up where they were an only child and someone else, you know, was one of seven, right? Their whole approach to interaction, to attachment, to relationships is going to be different. If a person was the oldest, the youngest, or the middle, right? If they grew up in a home where there was a lot of screaming and some houses, they just scream. We scream. You want to pass the salt? We scream past the salt. In other houses, like, you know, there's no raising your voice at all. So when you bring two people together from different homes, even if you went to the same shul and the same community and your families have the same hashkafa, if, even if all of that is true, culturally from one home to the next, there are going to be such nuanced distinctions that from one person to the other, there may be something that feels abrasive. Like, why are you yelling? I'm not yelling. Stop yelling. No, I'm, I'm not. You keep yelling. And I, I hear this with couples all the time where there is that, that differential. Mm -hmm. And instead of saying, I'm not yelling, we'd want to train a couple to say, oh, I didn't realize that you heard that as yelling. I'm sorry. Is it that I said it strongly or with a loud tone or a different voice? Let me learn how you're experiencing me and vice versa. But I don't think it's more a, a, a male versus female thing. Um, I think it's really a matter of both people learning to be more self-aware about how does my partner experience me and how do I uh, create a greater self-awareness of how I'm interacting with them. Right. Fascinating. I feel like I'm about to go off a cliff with the next question, but uh, I'm going to ask it anyway. Obviously, communication in the world has changed dramatically over the past generation. Um, and even more so over the past 10, 15 years, and maybe even more <laughs> the last couple of years, you know, uh, we, we have very quickly migrated, you know, from uh, letter writing to email to text messaging to WhatsApp messaging. And now very often it's just an emoji or, you know, there are different deos, whether you call it a GIF or a GIF, but pictures which are supposed to somehow express, you know, everything that I'm feeling that I'm thinking at this particular point in time. Now, obviously, that this has impacted all of us in, in a dramatic way, but I, I'm wondering, are you seeing yet, you know, an impact on marriages that have been founded fundamentally upon sort of a bedrock of, of communication that has been certainly not exclusively and maybe not even primarily, but to a large extent, you know, communication that is text-based, that is image-based, that is emoji-based, and is there, you know, again, sort of this revelation of sorts that once we start uh, interacting more regularly and we have to actually look at each other, 
and I can't choose from 19 different, you know, digital expressions on my phone that people are just, you know, lost and perhaps overwhelmed. I've never had to speak to you before. No judgment here. I think that's the perfect question for someone sort of at our stage of life to ask, right? In other words, you and I grew up in a world where we didn't have cell phones and then there's suddenly cell phones and WhatsApp and emojis and everything else. And we've experienced marriage without it and now marriage with it. And I think if we, in all fairness, if we look at the opposite sides of where we are, right? In other words, let's say our parents' generation, it's not really a question. Like if I want to talk to my spouse, I'll pick up the phone, I'll call them. Yeah, shoot a text like, hey, can you pick up some, some milk on the way home? Like that's, but it's not really a form of communication. It's not even a question, right? I think when you look on the other side of it, which are people who are, have only been raised with cell phones and they're entering relationships, romantic relationships now, where finding the perfect GIF and the perfect emoji actually takes thought there's something meaningful about going out of your way during your day and sending your partner uh, a text or an emoji or a GIF, something that just says like, hey, I'm thinking about you. And, and I think that certainly, it actually- Certainly cheaper stuff. than 1-800-Flowers for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> and this is where I think we need to, to be mindful is for those that are sort of in the middle where they've experienced both, we run the risk of either getting the best or the worst of it. In other words, it's easy to avoid a phone call and a text may seem a little impersonal and we have to strike the right balance. I think for the younger generation growing up uh, where this is just a natural form of communication, it's a great strength. And I encourage couples all the time, like you know, you're apart from your partner 12 hours a day, let's say. How many, how many times are you communicating with your partner? Most people say none, maybe once, twice. And that means, you know, for half the day, and then by the way, the other half of the day, you know, we're sleeping for, you know, six or eight hours of that time, right? So you're talking maybe three, four hours a day at most that you're even together. And if that, you know, how much are we really interacting? And there's research on it that shows that most couples are really not communicating more than just a few minutes a day. So if you could every few hours, and it shouldn't be on a set schedule, but it should be a mindful thing. Every couple of hours, I shoot you a smiley face, a text. How's your day going? Thinking about you. What'd you have for lunch? Can't wait to see you later. Ooh, what do you want to do for dinner? Just to stay connected. I think text is a very powerful way to do that. The only, I guess, caveat that I would caution is please, please, please do not become one of those couples that have long drawn out important, meaningful conversations via text. Like I've had couples each sit with me in my office and they pull out their phones and say, let, let me play for you the conversation, how it went. And person A reads their text and person B read, and for 20 minutes back and forth, reading the whole Shaklavataria. And I'm thinking, this must've taken hours. Why couldn't you guys just picked up the phone, spend seven minutes and spoken out your feelings? And, and, and if I can just stand on a soapbox for a second, there's a lot of important research about emotion. Again, based on the home that you were raised, the community, the culture, some people are really good at sharing feelings. Other people are very uncomfortable. And as a result, we don't express our vulnerability. We tend to just get uncomfortable. Um, and so when a person yells or reacts or gets angry, it's often because there's a deeper need. Emotion is gold. Emotion needs to be conveyed. And when you speak to your partner on the phone and you can say something like, Yes, I really want to see you, but I have to be honest. I'm, I'm, I was really hurt this morning when I was speaking to you when you were on your phone. And I just, I really, I, I want to spend more time with you. I want to connect with you. And you look into your partner's eyes and you say, they can hear the, the, the feeling in your voice. The emotion comes through. It's so much more powerful than 
300 texts back and forth where we lose the human element. Um, Susan Johnson's research on emo- emotional focus therapy is a, a great book that she, a number of books, but particularly uh, Hold Me Tight, mm-hmm. talks about the idea of, of how we need to be present with emotions. And so texting is great. Digital communications is great. Save it for the staying in touch. But those meaningful conversations should be ideally eye-to-eye, heart-to-heart, really face-to-face in the most connected way possible. Fascinating. Okay. Now, someone's name has not come up yet in this conversation. That is John Gottman. And we know, I know, that your, your practice in psychotherapy is based, I think, primarily on the Gottman method and some of the marital interventions that he uses, which are all research-based and time-tested. I was wondering if you can just, I I know that you can't do this in a couple of minutes, but maybe just give us a general overview of what his basic teachings and philosophies are. I think a couple of them you've actually touched on already. Um, And then maybe let's try to bring that a little back into the the dating process. If there are certain tools, if there are certain skills uh, that he highlights that couples would you know, really benefit from knowing, from being aware of, even on a very simplistic level, you know, as they are in the dating courting process, you know, maybe that would be very helpful for you to share that with us. Absolutely. So, so Dr. John Gottman, uh, who's, you know, I'd consider my Rebbe, so to speak in this field, is just the world's expert on relationships. And I'm, I'm really so uh, constantly impressed with the, he has hundreds and hundreds of, of, of books and articles and, and um, so many different uh gems of research. And, and he says that primarily he spent, you know, more than 40 years studying thousands and thousands of couples simply as a researcher. You know, yes, he has a psychology background, but as a researcher, primarily watching couples in a laboratory setting with the goal of answering one question, why are some couples happy and others miserable? That was the question. That's basically the hypothesis that he was looking to un- unpack. And in the course of this research, discovered that there are a number of of skills, of competencies that successful couples engage in that are just beautiful, right? He calls these couples the masters of relationships in contrast with the disasters of relationships. And today, Dr. Gottman can watch a couple of a three-minute argument and predict with 94% accuracy whether they're going to stay married or get divorced. Wow. And these masters don't realize they are masters. They're just regular That's exactly the most amazing part, that they didn't take take courses on how to be masterful couples, he was watching them and saying like, wait a second, you guys are so happy and, and followed them longitudinally over years. And like, they're so happy. It's like, what are you guys doing? Like, what's your secret? And I'm like, well, I just, you know, I really always just want to make sure my wife knows that I, I, I love her. And I always want to make sure my husband feels, you know, happy and secure. And I always, even if I have something critical to say, I'll, I'll start off with something positive. And Dr. Gottman just took notes on this and eventually was able to crack the code. Again, 94% accuracy is very impressive. He's almost always right. We now know what are the things that couples need to do to be successful and what are the, the behaviors that couples engage in which cause them to get in trouble. So every single day when I'm working with couples and, and they present with, let's say, behavior X, you know, let's say they're, they're critical of their partner, right? Um, so we teach them how to swap out criticism for behavior Y, right? Which would be to express your own feelings. Right? Instead of saying, you know, you're such a slob for leaving your socks on the floor, we would teach them to say something more um, about me rather than pointing a finger at you. So it might sound like this. I feel really ignored when you leave your socks on the floor and I need you just to put them in the hamper. 
So I'm not calling you a name anymore, right? But we now know that just that one behavior of criticism or defensiveness when a person, you know, instead of saying, you know, you're right, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have left my socks. They're going to say something like, you know what? Don't tell me about my socks. You leave stuff all over the house. Your mess is everywhere. So that's defensive. And then, then your partner never feels heard. So criticism and defensiveness go hand in hand. Those are key skills that could be taught by way of, of changing negative patterns into positive ones. And couples that are disastrous could learn to become masters. So for instance, in, in Dr. Gottman's book, which I strongly recommend, uh, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, you know, one of many of his, his great, uh, great books, you know, couples can learn those things that, that they, they might be missing. It is very much a, uh, a skill-based approach, um, but it's also a very emotionally forward approach. It's not just a matter of checking boxes. You know, here, honey, I got you flowers. Hope you're happy. <laughs> That's not going to do it, right? But if you say, you know, I, I really know how much you love hydrangeas and I went to three different stores and I couldn't find them, but I got you tulips instead and I really hope you love them because I love you and I want you to see how much effort I put into this. That's the feeling that needs to go into it the, to, to put your heart. But going back to what you asked, you know, about the dating component of, of building relationships. So Dr. Gottman discovered in again over 40 years of researching couples that there's basically seven components, seven levels to building the relationship from the ground up. And the first level is something he calls love maps. And a map is what teaches you how to get from point A to point B. So a love map is how do I build a relationship where I'm going from where I am to better understanding where you are. So when a couple is dating, they're going through a process of we're strangers, we engage in a coupling process, and the thing that changes going from single to couples all comes down to one word, which is knowledge. I now know you, right? When I know you, it means not just I could tell you what your favorite dessert is and what your favorite TV show is and what you were wearing the first time that we met, you know, and, and what your favorite, you know, country to visit is. Like all of that is really helpful. But the real gold is when you can understand what makes my partner tick. Mm-hmm. What are their fears? So if my partner, let's say, grew up in a home where, you know, the parents were very harsh to them, yelled a lot, screamed a lot, you know, they were bullied in school. Right. then um, I need to know that that's a sensitivity that I have to have, that that's a landmine. I can't press those buttons. I need to treat that with such care. If uh, my partner is sensitive about, I don't know, about their body image, right? If they're sensitive about you know, his hairline, if he's sensitive about finances, right? The more I know about you and I have that knowledge, then the next step is I'm going to treat you with such care and respect. But if I if I just jump right to, oh, we have a lot in common and so we just, we love each other, right. but I don't know those landmines, what's going to happen? I'm going to step on them and inevitably cause a lot of pain. That's really, it's actually very fascinating, especially because when we think about relationships and what we think, you know, makes a great marriage, you know, I imagine some people will be a little more, you know, behaviorally minded and think, well, it all comes down to what you do and what you say. And others will say, well, it's perhaps more about the emotional connection. What you're saying, it's really both a knowledge and understanding of who my partner is and what his or her needs are, uh, which ultimately can lead to this greater emotional awareness 
an attunement, if you will. Uh, so this really, that, that cements a relationship and really, you know, makes the difference, like you said, between the, the masters and the disasters. And the disasters. Yeah, I, I remember the, you know, when during my week of Shevabrofs, I lost count of how many like grumpy old men came up to me and said something like, you know, the key to a good marriage is two words. Yes, dear. And I, I remember even at the time, you know, it was more than 20, 22 years ago, I was just thinking like, that's so sad. Like yesterday, like I should just placate my wife and tell her what she wants to hear and not be authentic. Like if it's, if it's something that's meaningful for me, shouldn't we have a conversation? Right. I just tell making her happy by saying yes, dear, isn't a real two-way street. It's not reciprocal. So let's be dyadic. Let's talk about like, this is how I feel. This is what I really want. Like, I really would love for us to go to my parents for the upcoming Yamtif. And I know you want to go to your parents. Let's talk it out. If I just say yes, dear, I'm going to grow resentful. Everything is yes, dear. And I feel like a shmata. And, and, and by the way, in our culture, we have this beautiful, beautiful concept of being a mevater or mevateris. Such a nice idea. Self-abnegation. I'm going to let go of my will and yield to yours. It's beautiful. And there is a time and place for it. But if we don't speak up our needs and communicate gently and lovingly, what do I need in this relationship? I need space. I need a hug. I need to talk. Um, I, you know, I need your encouragement. I, I need to not be judged. I need whatever it might be. We need to be able to communicate those things. If we could do that safely, then we build a really close friendship where this person is really there for me, understands my needs. And again, we're building constantly building that those love maps, knowing what each other needs strengthening it and then and then feeding it like hey you know what i know you're you're working late and you're really tired here i, I made you a coffee made you a tea you know just thinking about you because i know you and i know that this would be meaningful to you those are the steps that just naturally flow once we have that that connection amazing now i don't think we have time to go through all of the seven components or features of marriages maybe you can give us one more that was really sure. interesting love maps what would be either number two three four whatever you want sure so um I want to focus on the third one, which is turning toward instead of away. Okay. So every single interaction between a husband and wife is what we call a bid. It could be a bid for attention, a bid for affection, a bid for communication. It's basically saying like, hello, notice me trying to get your attention here. But people don't like to come forward and say things like, so I'm feeling really uh, lonely today. And what would make me feel better is if you put your phone away and sat with me and looked at me and noticed that my face is sad, that's pathetic. If you have to come and say that to your partner, no one does that. Instead, what do we do? We get snippy. We get angry, right? We just be like, you know, if you just put your phone away and we get angry, right? That, that the anger is really a manifestation of a deeper need, which is I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling hurt. I'm feeling sad today. I could use some attention. So how do we get our partner's attention? So the key is we want to have our radar always turned on to pick up on bids from our partner. So as an example, if your, you know, your partner says, uh, let's say Shabbos afternoon, they're sitting on the couch, they're reading a book and you walk in the room and uh, you're not sure, should I interrupt them? Should I not interrupt them? And then you say, uh, hey, what are you reading? Right? That question is so simple and so understated but it's an acknowledgement of the of your of your partner's existence. Right? Words, if you weren't in the room, I wouldn't say that. I'm saying because we're a team. You're sitting right there. And if your answer is, could you please just give me a few minutes of quiet? I'm trying to finish my book. Right? So now I just I just rejected you. That's turning away, or even worse, turning against, right? Throwing you under the bus. Instead, we want to always receive the bids. Right. So put the book down for 
half a second. Just look up and say, oh, it's a, it's a book about Winston Churchill in World War II. It's, it's pretty boring. Is that a, a negative interaction? No, that's positive because I answered your question. It doesn't have to be this beautiful, happy, wonderful book that I'm excited about. I could say it's a pretty boring book. If I say to my partner, oh, wow, look outside, it's really raining. And they go, uh-huh. And they just keep their head buried down in their phone or in their book. That's a, that's a, a turning away. That's a lost interaction. But if I simply pick my head up and I look outside and I go, oh, wow, yeah, it is coming down. That is a successful response turning toward. And does that matter? So when Dr. Gottman looked at the masters versus the disasters, so the, uh, the masterful couples, about 87% of them um, turned toward those bids. They just looked up and said, oh, yeah, it's raining. That's it. Whereas the disasters only did that. 33% of the time. So the couples who ended up divorced were the ones who missed two thirds of those bids. They either just ignored it or just yelled or just turned away. And every moment, every bit, if, if, if my wife yawns, goes, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. I don't want to say, well, so I'm also tired, right? Because then I'm, I'm shining the spotlight on me when she's turning to me, she's reaching out a hand and she wants something. And I can say to her, huh, well, why are you tired? Did you not sleep well? And then that turns to a conversation, is something on your mind? Do you want to talk about it? Can I get you a coffee? And I'm continually, continually leaning in, asking, following up, and using the most powerful engine that we have, which is curiosity. Be curious. Stay curious. Don't pretend you know everything about your partner because then it's like, oh, there's nothing to talk about. We're always changing. So constantly update those love maps, ask questions, turn toward, um, and, and you start to like uh, create momentum. It's really exciting momentum that you see in couples when they're when they kind of have that like that that connection and they're always turning toward each other and you just see certain couples they just have an energy, and that's what it is. There's a friendship that's fueled by a desire that I always want to be there for you. Very interesting. I imagine I could be wrong. One of the reasons why often you know couples you know once they connect in in the dating process you know really seem to thrive and become almost you know obsessed with each other is because that curiosity is so genuine. It's real. They are still learning so much about each other and it's exciting. It's exciting. Um, at a certain point, what probably happens, and please tell me if this is, if this doesn't sound right to you, you know, we think that we've seen it all. We've discovered it all. I'm, I'm not curious about anything because I know who you are and I know you so well. And it's, and it's at that point where I guess maybe we would turn away more than turn in, which is so unfortunate because let's be honest, you've known somebody six months, a year, two years, wait, now, now you know everything there is to know. I mean, you're, you know, that's just, that's just the surface. I mean, people are, are deep, you know, we don't know ourselves, let alone others. So, you know, there has to be a way to sort of stimulate and to, to feed that natural curiosity. So it, it, it continues to grow and develop over time and we shouldn't feel well, you know, you know, that, um, I know, I know everything there is to know about you right now. And everybody changes. Like when couples sit with me and they say something like, you know, he's not the man I married 30 years ago. And it's like, of course, no one's the same as they were 30 years ago, right? You're not the same as you were a year or two ago. We're always changing our interests, our fears, our desires, our hopes, our dreams, everything is always changing. And I think one of the, the important takeaways for dating in the from world is to incorporate the, the fuel of curiosity throughout the process. And I'll explain what I mean. 
Dr. Gottman found that one of the, the, the highest ultimate level of connection for a couple is creating shared meaning. In other words, usually you spend 20, 30, 40 years together and you think about, wow, grandchildren, and legacies and, and, and philanthropy. And you know, how do we leave our mark on the world together as a, as a couple? How do we really leave a mark? And that is the result of decades of building a strong connection and working towards something. In our community, what we do is we actually start with that. Because when you sit down with a, you know, a shidduch resume as an example or why you connect and you're, you're looking at another person as a potential candidate. So what happens is, is you think about them as, okay, what do they want? What do I want? You know, certain type of Shabbos table and a certain hashkafa and raising children with a certain chinuch. We start off with the highest of values in mind as our goal. And if those all click and connect and we interview each other back and forth on a couple of dates and we feel like it works, then we can put our guard down and emotionally start to connect. But we run the risk of not building enough of the foundation where the friendship and the, the love maps are strong because we went right to the top. So what I often will help couples do is say, great, you've gotten past the difficult part of all the, the hashkafic differences and the nuanced things, but that doesn't really make the, a great relationship. Right. You love each other. You like each other. That's exactly it. And how do we make sure you like each other too? Mm. Right. And to get to know, to, to know one another through the good times and the bad times and the differences and to be tolerant and, and supportive. Like we don't have to think alike. You know, uh, when we look at, at conflict, everybody fights. But the reality is, is that uh, about 70% of the most successful couples never resolve their fights. They live in perpetual conflict over unresolvable gridlocked issues. Those issues will never, ever, ever get solved. And they're happy. Why are they happy? Because they know how to be respectful and friendly and dialogue and support. So you like to wake up late. I like to wake up early. You like to you know, keep the lights on at night. I like to shut them off. You like the room cold. I like it hot. Okay, we're never going to solve these. These are just perpetual issues in our marriage, but we're not going to beat each other up. We're not going to fight. We're just going to keep talking, keep talking. If we can talk respectfully, we'll be great. It's amazing. Can I can I say that back? Did you just say seventy percent of successful couples live with perpetual conflict in their that lives? That's correct. That, that is, is correct. That's amazing. And and that's a big chiddush because most people think that the goal is solve all your problems. Like we can't date because we we disagree about a certain issue. I'm a Republican. He's a Democrat. It'll never work. Well, no. Successful couples can engage in very happy relationships as long as they're really focused on. The, the quality of friendship, of connection, of love, of intimacy, of understanding, of support, of, of feeling like mm -hmm. one, ah, that, that's what is going to make a good relationship. Not, not a clone. Research shows that people don't want to marry a clone of themselves. People, the brain likes different. The brain likes someone that's intriguing, where there's some mystery. Mm -hmm. If it's like, yeah, I know everything about you and we're exactly the same, well, there's not a lot of fun there. Pretty boring life. So it's okay when you're exploring shidduch options to say, you know what, I'll go with someone a little out of the box, someone yeah. that's a little bit different and see if the quality of the friendship could be strong and our maturity, our emotional intelligence can carry us through anything, then these little or big differences aren't going aren't gonna to make or break things. Now, I once heard Rabbi Sorrell Reisman uh, ask a question, which frankly, I didn't find the question so compelling, but the answer is so beautiful that you know, it makes me like the question. He says, you know, Rosh Hashanah, of course, we have a minute to dip an apple in honey. And we say, that it should be a Shana Tova Masuka. So he asks, why is that we use bee honey 
when the Torah speaks about Dvash, generally speaking, that's talking about Dvash Tamar, right. date honey. So he says that the reason why we use bee honey is because bee honey is derived and it is sort of harvested you know, through a very difficult and a, and a painful process. There is no way to just you know, extract the honey from the honeycombs without getting stung and dirty. It's, it's a painstaking process. Devash tamarim, it just it just oozes out. You don't have to do anything. You just touch it, and it just comes. And when we wish each other a good year, a shana tova, and a sweet year, we're we're being realistic in terms of our expectations, and and we're and we're wishing each other what we really should want in life, and that is not a life in which the sweetness just oozes out, in which it's pain free. There is no conflict. There are no stings along the way. No, we're going to specifically choose. And accept, you know, that life is a life, which is, you get stung a lot along the way, and there is conflict, and there is pain, and there is suffering. But ultimately, ultimately, that's, that's Tova. That's Tova. So wow. It's a very beautiful idea. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. And, and I, think, I think it speaks to the fact that it takes, relationships take work. It, it, it's not just going to be a slam dunk, because even if, you, even if you love the person and like them, right, it's not going to be a slam dunk. It, everything in life that is meaningful is going to take pain. It's going to take effort. It's going to take investment. It's going to take growth. And the question is, can you find a partner that is willing to go on that journey with you, willing to grow together, to be intentional about it? If, if your marriage will be a priority and you're going to constantly focus on how do we make it better. And that's not just about, okay, we have a, a date night once a week, which I, I shouldn't knock. It's a big deal to do that. But are we in touch with each other during the day? Do we have a ritual at the end of the day that we talk to one another? Right? What is the quality of connection? If that is the, the part of the relationship that we could really make sure we're intentional about, then everything else falls into place. No one's going to ever get everything they want. And really what you want, is that everything you need? Right? And what you need is very, is very different. And what we see in the research is that the successful couples are the ones that really focus on the quality of their friendship, of understanding, of being kind and uh, and loving towards each other, being supportive of one another's dreams. Not a matter of saying, well, this is my dream, so you, you, you signed up for it, but to say, you know, even if I put my dream on hold, how can I be supportive of yours? Amazing. Rabbi, Dr. Sittner, this has been an incredible privilege and honor. I've learned so much, as I always do from my conversations with you. Thank you. Thank you. We're out of time, but wondering, I mean, do you have have any concluding thoughts or remarks or suggestions, or I know that you can't give out a uh, business card here right now. The truth of the matter is, while this is not intended uh, as a commercial for you personally, I really, really hope that we will see a day in which more couples will come to see you and other of the many, many wonderful therapists that we have in the community long before there is ever, you know, a perception of a need before they feel that they're, you know, at the brink where there's some conflict in which there is some intervention that's necessary and realize the incredible benefits and just being able to explore a little more, like you said, learn about some of the mechanics of relationships, you know, from the outset and set themselves up for greater success down the line. So I really actually do hope that more couples um, at different stages, but early on, even in the dating process, premarital counseling will become more of a of a norm than it is today. Um, but until then, uh, speaking now to whoever may be listening, any, any, any final concluding thoughts? 
Thank you. I, I, I really do want to express my akarzatov to you and to why you connect for, for the, the, not only the wonderful work that's being done, but for the, the foresight to connect and build, you know, this virtual community that will be of support to so many people that are all in the same boat. Um, one of the things I will hear from a lot of people is like, I was dating and I wasn't sure. And so I spoke to my friends, right? Okay, that's, oh, friends, there's a lot of research on the power of social support. But are your friends experts in relationships when they're telling you that you should or shouldn't, you know, go on another date or how to proceed? Um, and so what I, I would encourage everyone to do is take advantage of the wonderful resources. So whether those are going to be Rabbanim, Sharchanim, why you connect therapists, there are a whole host of wonderful uh, tools and resources that are available in addition to um, being able to speak to friends and friends should be utilized. But people who live in this world who have helped thousands of couples uh, who have a great perspective and, and to be able to tap into those resources, use those resources um, and gain as much support as possible. At the end of the day, you'll make your own decisions. And you should make your own decisions. No one should make decisions for you. But to tap into those resources, see what you could learn, get Eitzah, uh, and any advice, any guidance that you can um, to be as well-informed as possible. This, The idea of who you're going to marry, that's just you know the single most important decision you'll ever make in your life. So the fact that you know people are taking the time to, to listen to this podcast, to do their research, to be more connected is a fabulous thing. And I think that, you know, I hope more people will take advantage of these resources and uh, continue to help them advance toward their own goals. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you to our gracious hosts and guests this evening. Please email us at whyyouconnects at yu.edu to suggest future dating and relationship building topics and guests for your enjoyment. Candidate at whyyouconnects.com.